morning. I'll be reading Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 to 35. Moses came down from Mount Sinai. As he came down from the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant in his hand, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin on his face was shining and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and the, all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses spoke with them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them in commandment all, the, all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, the Israelites would see the face of Moses, that the skin on his face was shining. And Moses would put a veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. Luke chapter 9 verses 28 to 43. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance on his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speak. sorry, Yes, they appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. But since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. On the next day, when they, came, when they had to come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. Just then, a man, from, a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He is my only child. Suddenly, a spirit seizes him, and all at once he streaks. It convulses him until he foams at the mouth. It molds him and will scarcely leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out but they could not. Jesus answered, you faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon dashed him out in the ground in convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astounded at the greatness of God. Thank you very much for that, Nickwith. We're now going to have our sermonette. Um, do please share any thoughts or 
Um, any questions you have in the chat? Um, it's always wonderful to hear what you guys need to think, but um, now over to Simon. Thank you, Phoebe. Thank you, Nicholas. Controversies about face coverings are not simply a COVID-19 phenomena. And whilst I must confess to finding the politicised reluctance to wear a mask in the interests of public safety as mystifying as the trend to wear masks on the chin or under the nose, nonetheless, arguments about whether to cover one's face are nothing new. The controversial French law of 2011 made it illegal to wear a face covering veil or any other mask in public places. And this led the United Nations Human Rights Committee to declare in 2018 that France's ban disproportionately harmed the right of women to manifest their religious beliefs and could have the effect of confining them to their homes, impeding their access to public services and marginalising them. And the irony is not lost on me that it was in August last year that Paris became one of the first places to make wearing a mask in public compulsory. My how things change when the needs change. But of course, face and head coverings can also be highly oppressive, symbols of a patriarchy that excludes women from functioning fully within society as equals. So from COVID face masks to religious head coverings, the issue of whether or not to conceal one's face remains a contentious issue and frequently becomes indicative of a clash between the demands of religious practice or ideological position and the requirements of civil society. To mask or not to mask? Well, this is probably a good point to take a trip back in time. Uh, to a far earlier discussion around uh, veiling the face. Uh, we're going to go back in time now uh, some thousands of years to Moses coming down from Mount Sinai with the two stone tablets containing the Ten Commandments. Whilst up the mountain, we're told that Moses had been talking face to face with God. And then when he came down from the mountain, his face was shining with the glory of God. But after giving the commandments of God to the people, Moses then had to put on a face veil because we are told the people were afraid. The significance of this is that at the very moment of the giving of the law, which was intended to show people how to relate to one another and to God, we find not unity, but fear and division. Rather than bringing people together, the revelation of the law through Moses instead brought social disruption as Moses was veiled from his fellow Israelites and spiritual disruption as the manifest presence of God was veiled from the people of God. It can be hard to make sense of Moses' experience. But I think Victor Hugo gets close in the book Les Miserables, where he describes the old bishop, Monsignor Bienvenu, with the words, he did not study God, he was dazzled by God. And I think this contrast between studying God and being dazzled by God 
is helpful to us as we contrast the differing responses of Moses and the people of Israel of old. The Israelites focused on the tablets of the law, which they made their object of study. Whilst Moses focused on the brightness of the revelation of the God who gave the law. And here we have the heart of the problem. Religious people through the ages, from the people of Israel at Mount Sinai to Christians of the contemporary era, religious people have persisted in finding themselves much less troubled when they have a law to keep and apply. Whilst those whose faces reflect their encounter with the divine are feared and segregated and veiled off from society. In the sociology of religion, it is often the case that things are originally declared taboo because they are considered too holy, but that those things declared taboo eventually come to be reviled as unclean. And one might note here that those men who find their study of religious law requires them to enforce restrictive legislation on women, they might believe they're acting out of a desire for careful observance of the commands of God, but the tragedy is that the glory of the gift of a fully equal humanity becomes veiled as they do so, and human society as God intends it becomes segregated, becoming in the process so much less than it could and should be. The law of Moses, which should have provided the mechanism for genuine and open relationship between people and between people and their God, became instead an excuse for segregation, division and distrust. So the two stone tablets with the Ten Commandments on were placed in the Ark of the Covenant which was then placed in the Holy of Holies in time at the heart of the Jewish temple, separated from the people by, yes, you've guessed it, a veil in the temple. And only the high priest could go beyond the veil into the Holy of Holies, and then only once a year on the Day of Atonement. That which was holy and given as a gift of grace from God became taboo because it was so holy and in time it became untouchable, something to be avoided by almost everyone. And if we fast forward through time a few centuries, we come to another prophet ascending a mountain for a face-to-face -face encounter with the divine. Jesus goes up the mountain to pray with three of his disciples, and whilst he's there he has an experience which is analogous to that of Moses. Luke's Gospel tells us that whilst he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. It's no accident that this imagery echoes that of Moses. Luke is clearly telling us that Jesus is a prophet like Moses. In fact, he's telling us more than that. The way Luke sees Jesus, Jesus is the new Moses, bringing into being a new covenant between God and humanity predicated not on the giving of stone tablets inscribed with the commandments of the law, but on a direct revelation of God himself, revealed through the person of Jesus Christ. 
to hammer this point home, we discover that Jesus is now mysteriously accompanied on the mountain by none other than Moses himself together with the prophet Elijah. Here we have the great symbolic representative individuals of the law, Moses, and the prophets, Elijah, accompanying Jesus at the moment of his face-to-face -face encounter with God. And then just when we think it couldn't get any more apocalyptic, we have a cloud and a disembodied voice speaking from the cloud. And those of us who know the Exodus story will recognise this imagery. The cloud is the cloudy, fiery pillar which led the people of Israel from slavery through the wilderness of sin to freedom in the promised land. And the voice is the same divine voice that dictated the commands of the law to Moses. But this time, rather than speaking words of law, the voice from heaven offers only one command. This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. This is the new law given to the new Moses in fulfilment of the law and prophets. This is the new law which will lead those who keep it safely through the wilderness from slavery to sin and death and into the promised land of the dawning kingdom of God. It is this new law which completes and fulfills the old law. And this law, this new law is written not on stone tablets, but is embodied in the living person of Jesus Christ. Those who want to know how to live according to the new law need study no longer the words of the commandments. Instead, they need to be dazzled by an encounter with God in Christ. And I have a question for all of us, for me and for you. Are you dazzled by your encounter with God in Christ? And so Jesus, the new Moses, the personification of the new law comes down from the mountain, just as Moses came down from the mountain in Sinai. And this is where it gets interesting. Moses, as we have seen, had to veil his face because people were afraid. Jesus, on the other hand, comes down the mountain to encounter a, a terrifying spirit which is causing a young child to shriek and convulse and foam at the mouth. The symptoms that Luke describes of the young man's illness closely match those of epilepsy. And indeed, in the parallel account in Matthew's Gospel, he is described as an epileptic. And whilst modern medicine has a better understanding of this condition and how it can be controlled, the result of a violent epileptic fit is as terrifying today as it has ever been, and clearly this young man's life was subject to forces of chaos beyond his or anyone else's ability to control. It turns out that the disciples have been attempting to play exorcist and have been trying unsuccessfully to heal the boy by casting out a disruptive spirit. What Jesus says next is significant. The unspoken oh, for goodness sake, is almost tangible. As he mutters despairingly, you faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you before commanding the father to bring the young boy to him? The healing is then straightforward as Jesus rebukes the spirit and brings peace to the convulsing child before restoring him back to his father. It seems the reason the disciples have been unable to heal the child was because they were part of this, what Jesus calls, 
faithless and perverse generation. They belonged to the latest of the many generations which had encountered God with veiled minds. They had not faced the dazzling and transforming character of God with unveiled faces, but instead had been shaped by a religion which focused on the study of the law and the application of its commandments. The healing of this young man, like so many of the healing stories in the Gospels, is not primarily about the physical cure, although there is certainly a physical element to what happens. Rather, it is a story about the restoration of the young man to his rightful place in society. We're told that after his healing, he is restored back to his father, back to his family, back to his place in society. Epileptics in those days were greatly feared as well as pitied because they were believed to be inhabited by demons which caused their fits. And so they and others with similar conditions were kept at the margins of society, hidden away and out of sight, veiled off from the rest of the population. An epileptic was an all too real reminder of the chaos that was believed to lurk just below the surface of the world, threatening to break through and overwhelm people at any moment. The disciples had been unable to heal him, unable to restore him to society because their minds were still veiled. They were focusing simply on a spiritual cause for a physical manifestation of sickness. But when the epileptic boy was brought to Jesus, he encountered this new Moses with an unveiled face, and rather than pity or fear or a desire to problem solve, he simply met in Jesus, the God who restores equality between humans, who brings healing to society and restoration to those who are cast aside or curtained off. The healing of the young man was not just a spiritual act, it was not just a physical act, it was a social act, restoring him to his family. And it was a political act, challenging the structures of society that had acted to segregate him away. And in this healing of the young man, we see the implications of what it means to encounter God in Christ with unveiled faces. The faithless and perverse generation is one which is beset by demons of all kinds, demons which divide us from one another, sowing seeds of chaos and confusion, disorder and disruption. And I'm sure we could, if we wanted, name some of the demons of division in our own culture. Today is Racial Justice Sunday and the evils of racism have been laid bare for us over the course of the last year with the Black Lives Matter movement calling us to a better vision of humanity. And from racism to sexism to homophobia, biphobia and transphobia, the evils of exclusion and division are all around us. As God's good creation becomes distorted and humanity is disrupted. The faithless and perverse generation still has veiled minds, looking for mechanistic solutions to presenting problems. The faithless and perverse generation can study law till kingdom come and be none the wiser about the path to freedom. But those who encounter God in Christ with unveiled faces 
are called to be those who bring holistic healing to a world that remains frustratingly fragmented. The call is upon all of us to keep the veils from our own faces, even if we have to mask in the interests of public safety. As we, with Christ, descend from the mountain of revelation, the call is upon each of us to resist those forms of religion which perpetuate us and them mentalities, which seek to, seek to veil person from person, keeping our own revelation of divine love veiled from others. If in Christ we have received the law of the Spirit of Christ, who is given to bring healing, restoration and renewal, then our task is to allow that revelation to shine into the whole world, to illuminate the darkest places, to bring healing to the most troubled and chaotic souls. We are all too adept at finding effective ways of dividing our own community one from another. Along grounds of ethnicity, social standing, gender and sexuality. And when we do so, we not only divide the body of Christ, we also place a veil over the whole church in such a way as to conceal the light we have from those who most need its revelation. Those who meet the world with unveiled faces are called to be those who see the structures and systems in society which exclude the weak and the vulnerable, which diminish and demean the oppressed, which stigmatise the demented and segregate the unfamiliar. Those who encounter the world with unveiled faces are called to bring healing, restoring, transforming presence of Christ to those whom others have written off as irredeemable. The veil between God and humanity was ripped in two at the moment of the crucifixion. The veil which lies over the hearts of humans is swept aside in Christ. As none other than Paul himself puts it, and I will close with this quote from 2 Corinthians. All of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, from the Spirit. Amen. Thank you very much, Simon, for the sermonette. Um, after we're going to have a little moment of silence um, and then we will lead on to our discussion. Please keep chatting in the chat and tell me all of your uh, what you guys thought. Um, that would be really wonderful. Um, but yeah, let's just have a little moment of silence. I'm going to ask all the panelists to unmute and uh, switch your cam on, please. Um, but yeah, let's just take a moment. Thank you and good morning, everyone. Um, does anyone have any initial thoughts that they want to share uh, with the group? I feel really dazzled. <laughs> it's like being having being up on a mountain, actually. That that whole, you know, um, what Simon shared with us. So that's kind of how I'm feeling, really. I think so much in that. You know that's really wonderful and challenging yeah so that's where i'm at i think being dazzled that stands out 
And uh, what the comment about, you know, um, in a way that, you know, from that, that brilliant quote from um, Les Mis, you know, about studying, they didn't study God, he was dazzled by God. I think that stands out. And I think um, God is dazzled by us. I was writing ah. nothing is like greater than God's creation and being unveiled and wow. us being unveiled and being true to who we are and being completely oh, ourselves um, oh, is, uh, is beautiful. Mm. Yeah, like Fantastic. Hmm. Thank you, Nicholas. That is really beautiful. I love that. But God is also like, whoa, look at you. <laughs> Yeah, I just, I mean, my my thoughts um, were just more on the kind of separation of like thinking about back when things were like veiled and like how that is kind of still happening. Like it happened in the way that the Bible was only in Latin to try and like put a veil there between um, people and the Bible. Um, and even now, like with some people, like, you know, you saying that only the Pope can speak to God and stuff like that. There is like um, exclusion and segregation, like even within Christianity then. Um, I was just thinking about that. To be dazzled is to know that you can also go to the Ark of the Covenant and get a shiny face. This is what I was thinking. Um, would anyone else like to share? Nigel, I'll pick on you. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Um, I was thinking really of the, uh, those words, you know, this is my son, listen to him. And how when we don't listen to Christ, we end up listening to each other sometimes and we start making up our rules and regulations and deciding who's in and who's out and how we decide who's in and who's out. Whereas... Christ always was radical in his inclusion of people, in the way he spoke with people that society cast aside. He, he, he touched the woman with an issue, she's called. He, he touched the lepers. He, he spoke to everyone. He, he spoke to the woman, in, uh, you know, the woman who was accused of adultery. All these people that nice society and the religious authorities decided were excluded he included and i think you know if we're gonna if we're gonna listen to christ that's what we have to do and we need to think about who who are we not being so welcome and it, even in our church are the people or types of people we are less welcome into that we we don't touch and welcome in I think that's you know, listen to him, God said, and I think that's good mm. advice for us. Mm. Well, thank yeah. you. Yeah, very powerful. We're thinking mm. about this. Yeah. Well, just step in. Uh, for me, I, what I think from um, from the sermonette is, I think uh, true wisdom actually comes from the Word of God, and I personally. Um, uh, uh, took some time to understand an issue about race and to um, about inequality and uh, social justice issues. And if somebody had a discussion with me a couple of years ago, say, well, 90% of 
black people uh, don't know what race is. And the fact that you only think that, well, race is basically the white dislike for blacks, which is, well, um, I would say a meaningless uh, uh, definition of what race is. But then I, you look at inequality, you look at social justice, and I come to the understanding that, well, these relationship, it's a competitive relationship that we have with one another, and, um, and which the advantage, the ultimate advantage is to make other more powerful uh, politically and economically. And what I got from this teaching as, as a wisdom point for me is uh, the, the, the failed issue. I think um, covering the face and then imposing laws on people is, is an aspect of, of, of creating a kind of uh, a competitive relationship with someone of, of anybody that is oppressed and to, uh, to, the, yeah, to gain maybe an, an advantage and to make people excluded instead of making people included. Um, that's, that's, the, that's a big thing I, I, I got from this summit from Simon, basically. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, we have some things from the chat that's coming through. Uh, As I really like, um, oh gosh, I really like what uh, um, Jeff said, oh, um, trying to see who said what. Um, yeah, so I really like that Jeff said, listen and be inspired, not listen and be told. And really feeling dazzled is gets me very excited. So um, <laughs> I like that, I really like that. Um, we have also some questions here from Carolyn. She's saying, sometimes it feels like talking about a salmon leads people back into the veiled place where what could follow a salmon is like an act or a direct demonstration of love and, um, or even vulnerability. I think it's kind of like, I guess what, kind of Nigel was saying about people listening to people instead of people listening to God um, but still I think it's important that we are like sharing um, like amongst each other but just always remember that ultimately we are going to listen listen to Jesus um, but yeah thank you that she says she's really enjoying the reflections today and finding it easy to feel in my heart which is our really specialty. Um, so yeah, thank you guys. Keep chatting, keep chatting <laughs> away. We're now going to have our prayers of intercession with Solomon and Simon. Let us pray. Loving and forgiving God, we come to you today recognizing that in matters of ethnicity, we have no choice. We are who we have been made to be. Before you, we rejoice at our diversity and our hearts lift at your great vision of a worshipping multitude gathered from every nation, tribe, people and language. But nonetheless, we recognise that our present reality is very far from this ideal. We have, each of us, been shaped by different forces. 
Some of us have been ground down whilst others have been built up. Some of us have been worn away or have become fractured and broken. Some of us have found life a burden rather than a joy. None of us have experienced the perfect life. Some of us have inherited power. Wise others of us have inherited powerlessness. Some of us have been born white in a world where whiteness confers privilege. Others of us have been born black in a world where dark skin carries disadvantage. We know that this is not the world as you would have it be, but it is our world and it has been our experience. None of us asks for our skin color. None of us asks to be born the heirs of oppression. None of us asks to inherit power or powerlessness. So before you and in the name of Jesus Christ who loves all people equally, regardless of ethnicity, gender, or social status. We come now to recommit ourselves to your vision of the world. We come now to pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and to offer ourselves once to live out your coming kingdom of equality and justice in our lives, in our churches, and in our communities. And so we confess our own complicity in the status quo, which divides and distorts humanity. As we pray, we ask that you will release us from guilt and will help us to find ways of laying down the burdens we have inherited. Help us to discover our true and rightful place within the new humanity created in Jesus Christ. All races together, we confess that we have sinned and that we have fallen short of the glory of God. We confess our failures to speak out against injustice. We confess those times when as individuals and churches, we have witnessed the fracturing of humanity along ethnic grounds and yet have remained silent. We confess those times when we have been the powerful ones and have chosen to withhold that power whilst another human suffered. We confess the sin of racist exclusion, the abuse of power to oppress and demean. With those of us who have ourselves experienced exclusion, be the first to speak up for others. May we create spaces for reconciliation we pray for our churches. May they become places of reconciliation where each human soul is valued and where equality in Christ is a reality in our midst. Forgive us those times where we do not live out our calling as your people. And may our church at Bloomsbury model the new humanity of Christ to those in the communities where those of us who attend live. We pray for our communities where there is division. 
May we bring restoration where there is inequality, may we bring justice. Where there is powerlessness, may we lift up the brokenhearted. Where there is damage, may we bring healing. Loving and forgiving God, hear our confession. Hear the desires of our hearts to be different. Grant us your forgiveness and remake us according to the likeness of Christ. Amen. Amen. And before you guys leave, please allow me to bless you. May the Lord bless you, keep you and treat you this week. And know uh, your love, his love, her love with you. Amen. <laughs>